Welcome to the I Am Vinyl podcast. My name is Pete LaRussa, and once again, I am joined by Joey Haney, as we are here for our latest episode, which is focusing on an album that just turned 30 years old yesterday on February 25th. And as you can see on your device, we are talking about Pantera's vulgar display of power, as Joey is showing it for our YouTube viewers. It's open, by the way. I'm not, this isn't a baseball card. So, boom, look at that. Yeah. Rhino pressing, the double gate. Yeah, I got that the one. The two too. albums. Yeah, the, the, the superior one. I'm sure the new pressing's fine, but, you know, this the, the Rhino 2s. I'm going like, to get into that. Anyway, yeah, totally. Bearing, let's, I just didn't want to bury the lead. We will definitely get into that. So, no, no problem. So before we get into everything, just want to thank everybody for joining us. And if you're joining us on YouTube and you haven't subscribed yet, please consider subscribing. If you're listening on cnjradio.com or if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, then you might want to consider visiting us at my YouTube page, Pete LaRusso28, and check out this video and give us a subscribe. So now that we've got the uh, maintenance out of the way, we can discuss the topic at hand. Yeah, most regular people would say subscribe to these shows and channels. <laughs> By the way, I'm I'm going to already pull my card out. I'm recording in the the heart of the Dallas Fort Worth area and right between the those cities is the mid cities where I live, but the main crux of the mid cities is Arlington, Texas and just next to Arlington is Pantigo, Texas. Mm, yes. I am I am five minutes away from the place where Pantera was born. So wow. I, I definitely pulling out my whole card here and everything else, putting it on a table, claiming it. So I am here not as an extension of the band, but as a as a booster, as a homer. And uh, so hope I do it justice. So Oh my, as a homer? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're all full of, uh, you know, our bad imitations and our zingers today, aren't we? <laughs> yes. That's my fill, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Off to a rip-roaring start. <laughs> all right. So as Joey has stated, he, he is just minutes away from where Pantera was born. And if we want to get into the record now, we can start by discussing when it was released which was 30 years ago on February 25th, 1992. And as you mentioned, it was recorded at Pantigo Sound Studio in Pantigo, Texas, produced by Terry Date once again, after he produced their first record for ATCO, Cowboys from Hell. The chart position it peaked at number 44 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. Too low. And, oh, absolutely too low. <laughs> So we should also point out that the album would go on to be certified double platinum with over 2 million copies sold. The singles that were released were Mouth for War, This Love, there was a promo only single for Hollow, and finally the last single that was released was Walk. Yeah, I think Dallas made Hollow a single because it got played over here. I don't know if it really got played in a lot of other places, but... It was just one of those things where the radio stations were like, we're getting inundated with Pantera calls. I remember them saying that. So we're just going to start playing Hollow, which makes total sense. It's basically a brother-sister to this love. And by the way, those other singles you mentioned, I believe 100% of those videos 
were directed by the guy that directed the videos for the shirt you're wearing, Paul Rackman. Uh, uh, yeah, did the oh okay sorry I see the Statue of Liberty I thought that was a revenge shirt. Oh no, uh, no but this is the reunion tour shirt. Yeah, so but he uh, Paul Rackman did all the revenge clips as well because of his work with Pantera. Yeah, Gene Simmons is like I want that guy that did oh, Mouth for War. I want that yeah. guy. So that that's that's a true story according to all parties involved. I do have a story about the release date, but before we get into all that, we're going to do how we got into the band, right? Yeah, we can do that now. Okay. You want to start? Yeah, uh, you go ahead cuz I'm probably going to go on and on, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that's fine. Yeah. Well, host get, host gets a uh, you know, first. Uh, well, I'm a host. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Bobby the Brain, I'm the host. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so how I got into Pantera, not a very long story. So I was on a Little League baseball team in 1989 at the school I was going to at the time, St. Francis Cabrini. And there was someone on the team named Paul Shapiro. And so, you know, him and I had become friends while we were on this team. And so I eventually introduced him to the Verderami brothers that have talked about a million times on this show. So, you know, we, we all started hanging out and he was actually the first person to ask me to be in a band. So there's a little personal tie there as well. So he was the first person that I recall bringing Pantera to our attention at the time. I think he brought over the Cowboys from Hell cassette after purchasing it at, at Record Factory. And I don't recall at the time even seeing their videos yet on Headbangers Ball for Cowboys from Hell or any, any of the, the videos that were filmed and released eventually. So I just remember he brought this cassette over and played it. And I just heard that, you know, that classic intro with, yeah. with the, the phalanger guitar. Oh, yeah. One and, of the best intros ever. It was like, what the hell, you know? Yeah. I always kind of say these things when it comes to bands that you just get into for the first time. I was just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, but again, that, it was because, that, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. But again, it was because of the bands that we were listening to prior. They didn't really sound like this. So it was, it was definitely unique. Little did I know the, the past history of Pantera before Cowboys from hell. And that, that literally blew my mind years later that, you know, they were, they were a glam band and, you know, they get accused very often of, you know, being, oh, well, they were a glam band, so they, they weren't, like, a legit, like, hard band, like, when they became the band, they became Cowboys from Hell and On. Yeah. You can, you can like, both things. If you're going to do that, you need to go all in. You need to disown, you know, Tool and Weezer and Alice in Chains and all those bands were doing the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. Their I mean, fame as well, so. I just think, and, and I don't want to, you know, detour too much, but I do want to say that the people that still give Pantera shit for the time period that they were, you know, like a glam metal band. I mean, were they a glam metal band or what would you call them, Joey? Like, uh, th that was okay. So like you listen to the first, first releases uh, and you're, there's definitely a Def Leppard meets Kiss thing going on. At no point did they ever sound like a Motley Crue, for instance, or a Poison. So you can hear tons of, like I said, especially Def Leppard and Kiss is the mm. kind of the order of the day when it comes to those first initial albums. And that's where I think you should hang, you know, all of the comparisons is really those two bands. Uh, sonically, especially, and of course, songwriting approach. 
probably more Kiss than Def Leppard because the, the lyrics are pretty innocuous or you know just kind of general. You know, people get into a little like bit of ride, Priest. Ride my, ride, oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely rock, a lot rock of, the you. world. You know, the yeah. stuff on power metal. Sure, yeah, anthem anthem stuff. I mean, it's just anthemic hard rock. You know, whatever, just because they had some Aquanet going on. Yeah, they they teased their hair. They were doing what a lot of bands were doing at the time. But let's let's not forget, like you know, bands like Slayer and Overkill. Even before they became Slayer and Overkill, they dabbled in yeah. makeup. And I'm, just, I'm just saying, yeah. like, you know, yeah, people and here's kinda, the other... People got to kind of calm down on the. Well, Pantera was a fucking glam band first. Yeah, yeah, no, and and also, I I still don't understand to this day, even you know, before all the weirdness happened, why they were so embarrassed and wanted to keep their albums buried, especially kind of after the fact, after the band broke up and this whole thing, because I don't think they have anything to be ashamed about. No, and it's a really neat snapshot of history i don't think it's any different i mean obviously it's less embarrassing for like a zz top to put out the moving sidewalk stuff i guess in a sense but i just really don't think they should be that embarrassed because it's it's like they said it's where you come from and if i may make a little pun there but no it's true also i think it's really cool that like the heaviest band in the land at one point also did this and i think you hear those other records you cannot put their integrity into question because they didn't invent the genre of whatever but they definitely perfected it whatever this is people call it groove metal or whatever but it's just a band that flew the heavy metal flag in the 90s and i actually i'm glad that we're doing this today because literally it was just listening to my buddy mark striegel on sirius yesterday on ozzy's boneyard doing a great job and he played some pantera and he's like god bless pantera for flying the flag in the nineties when it was not cool to be a oh, metal band, sure. like in the overall grand scheme of things, you know, like, especially a new band coming up. That's the thing like Metallica, Megadeth, you know, all those bands were kind of getting a pass, but a new band coming up, just playing pure metal at a time when a Metallica would be accused of turning their back on heavy metal. And that's a different debate, but it's a debate that's there for a reason. So Pantera was, we are the most metal at the time. And we are not ashamed of it. So every record, they got heavier and heavier and heavier. And you can't fake that to a point. You can get close, but you can't really, you know, you can't really pull off what they pulled off on these records. And Vulgar Display, getting back to that one, is really just one of the epitomes. It's what the kids now call a needle mover. So... Sorry, I, I did a whole diatribe and I didn't even get into mine. Mine's very similar. It was a friend of mine, came over, hang out. He had a cassette of Cowboys, same exact thing. I never heard the old stuff. I had just moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area six months into like Cowboys from Hell coming out around that time, first quarter, second quarter. Not sure the date on that. But like, you know, I had no idea about this band. I never read about them in magazines. I never heard them even on like my AM metal station. So they were not really remotely famous outside their area at all. I mean, not even outside Arlington, just there. Not even like in Dallas-Fort Worth from what I could tell. But, you know, that's just me trying to consume all the metal at the time, whether it's magazines or radio shows or whatever. I just did not hear Pantera until my friend Jason came over and played Cowboys from Hell. So that all being said, moving up to Vulgar, and the reason I was like, I'm surprised this album came out in February uh, of 92, because I thought it was around April or May. And the reason I thought that is because I went to the Skid Row tour where they opened uh, on Vulgar Display, which is documented so well in two great home videos. Pantera's 
vulgar video and skid rose roadkill both have great footage from that tour and a lot of yes a lot of the bands are in both videos so it's definitely worth a look uh so i went to this tour at fair park arena great little arena old school coliseum and the reason i didn't know the album had come out because i hadn't seen vulgar display of power in the stores legit so it was doing so well over here that the stores were all sold out and i guess maybe there was distribution problems with getting some more brought back to the shelves and every place i went to i just did not see this record i saw advertisements for it so i just figured it was a coming soon thing so it's weird i did not hear this record until about two months after it came out but the first time i heard anything off of this record i think besides mouth for war because i had seen on the ball was going to see them open for skid row that night and they played like half this record and not having heard any of this and hearing you know mouth for war for like the second or third time hearing a new level hearing fucking hostile hearing all these songs like for the first time live and as as far as i know like the guy i went with hadn't heard the record either and some other people around us and we were all just going this record's gonna be a motherfucker i mean that was literally said out loud and i guess they had the same issue i did hadn't seen the record in the store and i thought it really was streeting like two or three weeks after the show because that was the first time i saw a physical copy was a few weeks after going to see them so that's uh that's why that release date is baffling to me because i mean obviously it's right it's out there but if you'd asked me i would have sworn it came out in the spring of 92. that's amazing i actually vividly remember it coming out in february of 92 because i remember it was you know it was winter it was freezing cold some of the songs were premiered on wsou i've, I've mentioned that college radio station that that we have here 89.5 wsou so they had a show on Monday nights where they would play new promo material that they would get at the station. And so one of those Monday nights, they got the promo stuff from Volga Display of Power. So the very first time I heard anything from the record was off of WSOU. And nice. I believe they played Mouth for War and This Love. I don't recall if they played anything else, but I definitely remember those two songs. And this was before the record was coming out. So I just remember thinking, holy shit, these fucking songs are incredible. So, you know, obviously I was really looking forward to the album coming out. So I remember getting it pretty soon after it was released. You know, else was jazzed about it was the programmers and editors at Headbangers Ball because like almost, almost overnight, it seemed like that whole album took over all the, all the bumpers on the show. It went from prong to this. Because it was right. like the prong, there was like that prong album forever, like it, for two years, I guess, or whatever it is. And then Vulgar came out, and not only was it like the open, all the little mid quick bumpers, the the friend, the friend at large was the only thing that wasn't that because it was a uh, breed by Nirvana, but everything else was just like that. You hear, you hear new level, yeah, yeah, exactly. But just hearing that. And then they just cut into the, you know, just like, yeah. And you hear hostile, like edited oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on that show. It was great. Like, I was like, wow. So that was just another thing of like, this is the record. This is our, I mean, at a time when Nevermind was the record, this yeah. became our record, you know, like, man, 
if you didn't have this record, you know, it was all those cliches, like those junior high you fucking poser, you know, you know, like <laughs> you really were a pussy if you didn't have this record. That's just the way it was, man. And it, it was just the best. And I still love it. It's still my yeah. favorite Pantera record. You know, if I ever do a uh, my very first copy I, right here. Nice. This guy. Who's not Jeff Tate, which, you know, that used to be the joke with uh, me and the Verderami brothers. And Oh, really? Yeah, okay, I can see it. I can see it, actually. <laughs> be like, is that Jeff Tate? <laughs> yeah. Hair was too long at the time because he had the slick back yuppie haircut. During yeah, Empire. but, you know, the, the hair was too long, but the forehead is definitely pretty sure. on, on point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Fair yeah, I enough. got the original CD here, and then, of course, I had to get the uh, 20th anniversary oh. CD yeah, remaster. I want to talk about the extra track that they put on this remaster piss which was dropped from this record and then eventually some parts from that song surfaced on next album far beyond driven so what do you what do you think of of that song piss piss is fine i mean after not having it on the record for so long i once i heard i was like i I don't think it needed to be on the record but if it had been at the time i probably wouldn't have you know i probably wouldn't have minded it like it wouldn't have hurt but then we wouldn't have gotten the, the tracks as we had on Far Beyond Driven that used yeah. some of those parts. So that, that's, that would be the yeah. real horrible part about it. So I'm glad that, I mean, everything, that's one of those everything happens for a reason thing. So, yeah. Now at this point, I think we could kind of just talk about the production of the record. Obviously this record was a pretty big game changer in terms of the production, the style of the songs. Stylistically, they, they were more of a thrash, thrashier band on Cowboys from Hell. Yeah, whereas and, and, they whereas they with the atypical, yeah, with the atypical thrash production too. It's right. It's more trebly, uh, you know, in the way you know all the gated stuff is like it has a lot of those elements of the thrash records at the time, and just it was so refreshing. Whether or not I realized that we needed it or not, but like to hear the bass really come in on this record, and not just for the bass guitar itself, but for the drums, man the Vinnie Paul marching horse drums of God, like, and finally, and he, and he got into that conversation with like, uh, you know, like guys like Lombardo and Benante and stuff like that. Like this guy is a real deal. He's a beast. He is, he was the John Bonham of heavy metal because he was, you know, he's a look, he's kind of a bigger guy. And like, it seemed to like encompass what he looked like. Plus his personality, just the beefy sound who had a ball brick wall. Yeah, who ha- and who had a better bass drum sound on any record as they went on than Vinnie oh Paul? Like just that, get to get out. And it even goes as far as like like a Tommy Lee, for instance, who was massively yeah. influenced by Pantera, and he got a killer drum sound on the Doctor Feelgood album. Matter of fact, the drum sound on Doctor Feelgood is the reason why Bob Rock got hired by Metallica, because they're like, you need to make it sound like that. Uh, but when once Tommy Lee got to the '94 Karabi album it was a big deal like man those pantera drums they need to yeah. sound like that like so it reached far beyond uh, uh the you know just mm-hmm. the metal community uh so hard rock rock in general but yeah it was just nice to hear a full mix finally this is the way records are supposed to sound and not that like a, an album like the black album didn't have that influence because it was you know that album sounds great it's it's a killer stellar production and much to be said about the producer terry date really you know any work that he got i mean he was going to be a lifer after this like everybody would want to work with him and even bands that had their own original style like a deftones for instance 
started using Terry Day, like because yeah, you're gonna sound your records are gonna make you sound so good, like if you got him behind the board, like even if you were just maybe half good. Well, do you do you know the story of how Pantera decided they wanted to work with Terry Day? No, actually, I don't know this story. It's because of Overkill's record, The Years of Decay. Ah, nice. And if I know you, you listen were... to The Years of Decay and then you listen to Cowboys from Hell, wow, there's a bunch of similarities, you know, in, okay. terms, in terms of the production. Yeah, then they, they take it a step further with Vulgar Display of Power. And like I was saying, they started to veer away a little bit from the full-blown thrash sound. And now yeah. you get into this groove metal that they're associated with where they're, you know, they're also accused of birthing new metal and, you know, the pros and cons of that. But, sure. you know, for like, like you were saying, for a band that was getting accused of, well, they were one thing and now all of a sudden they're this. I mean, me personally, just as a musician, have, have, has gone through that. I mean, you know, the, the earlier bands I was playing in were not like the bands that I would be playing in later. So... I don't, I don't understand that concept of, you know, getting on musicians and getting on bands for doing one thing at first, unless, you know, you're, you're a band that, get, that gets really popular later and, and you're trashing the, the genre that you used to play, trying to play off like you, like you didn't, then I can see, you know, people getting on your case. I mean, like on a lower level, I'm a big fan of Nick Anderson and he started playing drums for Entomb. And now he's the lead singer and guitar player for Imperial State Electric. He was in, he was the helicopters guy in between that. So literally going from like basically death metal. I, I guess you could call Entomb death metal, sludge metal, whatever you want to call it. And now he's playing in garage bands. Yeah. It, just because he's not super famous means he's not getting the kind of venom that he or, would if, if look, he was I, a big star. I even, I even say like Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl went from Nirvana, which were supposed to be, you know, anti-rock star – and you know, anti-record label, the whole entire thing. He's a fucking lead singer of the Foo Fighters now, like one of the biggest rock and roll bands going right now. I don't know. I just I, again, yeah. and I, he he gets and a he, lot of flack. Sometimes Dave may may deserve some of the flack, but uh, a lot of times I think you know pe- uh, people are a, a little bit too much with that. But my my point is is that musicians grow and musicians change. And obviously, the guys in Pantera they they gave they gave it a shot with the Sunset Strip. Uh, Kiss, Aerosmith type of rock metal that they were doing they started to get into heavier things they started to get into Metallica and they started to get into Slayer and bands like that and they said oh you know I, I think we kind of want to you know, dip our toe into this and, and try doing this I don't see what the hell the big deal is about that and the other thing yeah. is Pantera I, I also see they often get accused of ripping off uh, that band Exhorter now full disclosure I don't know one single Exhorter song. <laughs> Same. I know tons of Pantera stuff. I know nothing about yeah. Exhorter. I've never heard any of their stuff. The band well, that they yeah, nothing, accused and, of ripping and, off. And, and nothing against them because I don't Me know neither, yeah. about them. So. Yeah, nothing against them. It's not, like <laughs> I, it's not like I avoided them for a reason. But I just yeah. think it's like we, we're all influenced by so many bands that it's honestly not very easy to be original. And by that point, you're talking about 1989, 1990, whenever Pantera kind of morphed into what they became really, truly known for. Yeah. And then obviously the power metal album that came before Cowboys right. is an example of like, they're already moving in this direction. Yeah. And so when I talked about why they won't put the other records out, like I'm, I'm very surprised the power metal never, never got a reissue because that's the only one I have on CD. It's power yeah, metal. Gotcha. I don't have the other one yeah. yet. 
the only one you can really find a lot of legit copies of because most everything out there is bootleg. Yeah. But but th- that actually ties in really well to the thing I wanted to talk about, which is when they first started touring under Vulgar Display, they were opening for Skid Row because Skid Row had a number one album the previous year in 1991 with Slaves of the Grind. So getting on that tour was going to be good for your pocketbook and also, you know, getting to play in front of people that may not necessarily, uh, they're not preaching to the choir with this tour in, in some ways. Let's say, I say 80-20 hasn't really heard them or bought their record maybe that's going to these shows. Now, the Dallas show is definitely probably 50-50. <laughs> Yeah. And that's a conservative number, but going on the tour around the world. I mean, you know, you, like I said, you watch that Roquel video, they go all the way to Brazil, you know, so they're playing all over the world at that point. And so like getting that tour is a good thing for them. Now I'm sure at the time, maybe they got some shit for it. And they talked about this when, you know, like on the Headbangers ball episodes and all these other things, it's like, it makes sense, but also it harkens back to what they used to be. So they're not necessarily like saying this music is shit either. So I really dig that. It's almost kind of, uh, once again, not forgetting where you came from. And the fact that they were like, no, it's a, they're a good band. Skid Row's a good band. And we're touring with them. Go see them live because they kick ass. And they did, you know. So, yeah. So that, that's the other thing. The thing I always liked about them that gave, even the hometown thing aside, that can only get you so far with me. But those kind of things really made me a bigger fan. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, not everything has to be just so, you know, one, one-sided. I don't know. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just like you think of the music that we listen to collectively, you know? We listen to a lot of different music. So I don't understand why, you know, Pantera deciding to go on a tour with, with Skid Row, what, because they were the band known for I Remember You? And you know, yeah. monster ballads and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, they're on they're on dial MTV and all that stuff, you know. So yeah, Metal Edge magazine. <laughs> this, this is the thing. This is these are it's like kind of like these the narrow minded metalheads. And I'm sorry, but I have to say, it, like sometimes you know, diehard metalheads can be very narrow minded and they, they're not willing to let anything else in. If it's not metal, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah or, or like only old metal matters you know or something like that you know like th- those kind of bullshit things and that that that's weird i've noticed that apparently a lot of hip-hop fans feel that way too you know and it goes back and forth oh. the old people don't want to listen to anything new and the new people definitely don't want to listen to anything old <laughs> so they're it's just uh yeah the fact that they're snobbery in that genre too and they're basically like of similar age, but it, it's, it's going on over there too. Punk rock, same way. All these yeah. genres are about 45 years old a piece. And it's like, we, we don't really need to have a civil war here because you know, if we can. Yeah. I honestly you know. think like metal fans tend to be like the biggest snobs. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, I've been in hardcore bands and I've been around some, you know, people that are kind of snobby in the hardcore scene but metal, it's forget about it. It doesn't even compare. Like I, I've, you know, just p- talking to people in the past and being around people at, at clubs and bars and just hearing conversation. I'm just sitting there like, oh, for fuck's sake, shut the fuck up already. What the fuck you're talking about? Yeah. You know what I mean? But like I said, it's it's the three big subgenres in this, so they're gonna have the most passionate fans. So that's gonna turn into that also. But yeah, but yeah, speaking of. Uh, all over the place. I did want to show this off a little bit. You know, hey, this is my other from. Uh, oh, see if I can do that. 
What is that? It, uh, I see it's, it's a, a I see it's a vinyl. Hostile moments. Yeah, hostile moments. Twelve inch. It's a uh, Brit uh, British import. Uh, yeah, European import, and it came out actually in ninety four, uh, ninety three, ninety four. But no, this is just basically a promotional thing to uh, advertise Far Beyond Driven that's coming out. So it's uh, three out of the four songs on here are actually from Vulgar, uh, with I'm Broken being the you know A side. But it's got the, you know, the remixes of the songs from Vulgar. So the walk, yeah, the surf, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, yep. have that. I'm holding and the my, uh, fucking uh, hostile biomechanical mix. So yeah, as, as Joey is talking about this, I slid over to my CDs and I grabbed my Japanese Pantera Walk yeah. single that yeah. I picked up at Zigzag probably in 1993, and yeah. it does have those same remixes that you were talking about. And I remember. Yeah. The first time I heard any of these remixes that it brought it to my attention was, I believe it was Vulgar Video, if I'm not mistaken, because yeah. they, they included some audio clips over some of the footage there. And I was like, wow, what, what is this? What is this mix? Like, this, this, this sounds great. Yeah. And then I saw this CD in, in Zigzag and, you know, read the track listing and f figured it out from there. So picked this thing up immediately. So that's part yeah. of my, my Vulgar collection right here. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. Like there was only a handful of bands that were probably rubbing shoulders with both sides of the fence there. So like, you know, pop metal, industrial metal. Yeah. Like I think that's super fucking cool. Like, you know, th there was definitely some hardcore slash metal bands that would definitely do something like that. Like, Megadeth like, like a, like a, yeah, Megadeth, like Biohazard did it, if I'm not mistaken, besides just the slam crossover. But yeah, if anything, they did that. And there were remixes attached to that, so that's yeah. really freaking cool. So, you know, just like it takes a special kind of band to be able to do that. But also the fact that they're just that good, when you're that good and you kind of know it, you can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. So they could have like really they could have kept playing a handful of, you know, pop metal songs maybe per record. But they didn't, so that's just that's what they wanted to do. I think yeah. Coming from that, though, helps with their songwriting ability is the thing. Like, that's the thing. I always go back to this every time. The song has to be there. I don't care how heavy you are. If you don't know how to structure a song and have a good bridge and chorus and all that shit and a good riff, then you suck. And Pantera was anything but sucking at that point, especially because they knew how to write a damn song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, which is way more than I can say for, you know, an anal cunt, let's say. <laughs> you mean Living Color is your favorite black metal band isn't your favorite anal cunt song? <laughs> you mean 311 Oh, I forgot sucks. about that. You mean 311 yeah. Sucks isn't your favorite anal cunt song? I mean, I could write song titles all day, too. I'm just Now now I'm going to get hate mail. So, <laughs> Is there any AC fans that are going to like really find this? And, like, Look, admittedly, I think, I, think, I think 311 Sucks is hilarious oh sure yeah and i i could say some other titles but they would probably get this yeah. video flagged you know yeah so. honestly those are the two that i remember the most is 311 sucks and living color is my favorite yeah. black heavy metal band i'll, I'll tell you my favorites <laughs> off air so <laughs> so uh, you want to talk about something else at this point now <laughs> oh, yeah, no did you um did you ever see pantera live i've already bragged about seeing them live multiple times so uh yes i have Yes, I really have, Joey. And uh, I will tell <laughs> <Thank> you. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of hard to see, but I found one ticket stub 
I, I've, I saw them three times, but I can only find one ticket stub. And this one is from the Roseland Ballroom, September 10th, 1997. Oh, nice. I saw them at the Roseland twice. I'm not sure if this was the show that I was sick and literally had to sit on the floor because and when I showed up to the show, I, I didn't realize I was sick. But then I started to feel like crap. And, oh. you know, I started to feel feverish. And I just, I remember I ended up like sitting down uh, on the side somewhere and watched the rest of the show until, oh. until it was over. Thankfully, it wasn't too bad. I, you know, it's not as bad as that guy, not as bad as that Japanese guy that fell asleep on the uh, three video. <laughs> no, definitely they, not as bad as that guy. The guy's like, just like, and he's no. like in the 10th row and they all part the sea just to make fun of him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, it wasn't that bad of a way. You know, I remember sure. I wasn't even sick that long. It was, it was kind of an oddity. The last time I saw Pantera was in 1998 and it was in the summer because I saw them on the OzFest tour. And okay, that, yeah. that's not exactly the best memory I want to remember of seeing them. And not because of the band and not because of them, but because there were some real fucking assholes in the crowd. And this was at OzFest at, at Giant Stadium. Ah. And so when Pantera went on, I just remember these like militant skinhead, like, but not like, not like skinheads you'd see at hardcore shows that knew the deal. You yeah. know, sure. These yeah, were skinheads no, I... that were out to like fucking hurt people. Yeah. So I just remember me and my friend Mike, we were trying to get away from that. And it kind of put a little bit of a damper on, on that show. Sure. That's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise. Yeah, the last, last two times I saw them were at Ozfest, weirdly enough. The Ozfest 97 and the 2000 one. Uh, so. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was 2000, 2001, one of those. We're, we're, yeah, it, I guess I, I, it's, it's been a while. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was the last time I saw them was like, oh, that's where they had the uh, flaming sign for, <laughs> it, was, it was like 200 degrees in the summertime oh. when the fire went up on that thing. And we're like, God damn. 12th row. And it's just like, ah, <laughs> that, that sign that happened to Randy Brown too. He saw him with the, on the Slayer Pantera co-headline and, he he bolted uh, like <laughs> after Slayer, like a few songs in the Pantera because he had seen him so many times, and it was like August, like in a shed. <laughs> he goes, when that sign went up, I was just like, I gotta go home. <laughs> <laughs> Randy's the man, though. He's he's a show lifer, but uh, yeah, yeah even, he got he got knocked out by that sign, uh, which is crazy. Like no one has had one of those since, I don't think. Uh, besides maybe Ramstein, that that seems like something they would do. Uh, but yeah, let, sorry. Let's get back to the record. Uh, so, how, well, I just how want to mention just uh, just one thing that I'll never forget. Like oh, I okay. still have it like clear in my brain. Seeing them at the Roseland, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure you you're, you'll probably remember this. Like when they would play Domination, and they would play that that breakdown at the very end. Oh yeah. Like they would play it even like deliberately slower than the record. Yeah. And I just remember the kick drum and the snare, just. Like I was way in the back at the Roseland and that shit was just resonating. Like you were literally like on the stage. Like that's just something that I've never forgotten. Yeah. And that, that's such a fan favorite thing to do that even when they would drop the song, they would still have to put that bit. That's right. At the end of a song. And like on the third or fourth tour, they, they, they put it at the end of hollow. And so that, that, that's why it's like that on the live album. 
Right. Uh, I remember that's on one one on one proof official live. Is it like they have to do the last part of domination? That's kind of like Kiss Alive, where they just tack on the end of "Let Me Know." Right. <laughs> it's like it's such a fan favorite thing that you yeah. can't not do it. Yeah, I just so, wanted to mention that because that yeah, was, yeah, that was that was a highlight for any of those Pantera shows. It was like if, if they're gonna play Domination, like first of all, like that's some of the sickest mosh pits I've ever seen in my life were Pantera yeah. shows. Yeah. And I'm talking about the I, Roseland shows. I'm not, the Ozfest show. I don't even know. Sure. The Roseland yeah. shows, you know, people like knew the deal and yeah. just crazy, crazy mosh pits. But yeah. In a good and way. I really think the best time I saw him live was that Skip Rose show. Uh, I saw him other times and I saw him headline and all that stuff in the Ozfest we talked about. But they were so hungry still. And on, and I mean, if you saw them on that tour, you probably saw them at their absolute best. Besides, like maybe being in some big, you know, overseas shows where they're headlining, I would have to guess. But they were still so hungry then, and they were in front of crowds that weren't necessarily there to see them. Winning those crowds over, yeah. I guarantee you, like a good amount of people bought that record after seeing them live if they got there early enough. Yeah. Yeah, and it was so cool. Like I don't know if they did this at every show, uh, but. Sebastian came out and did the last part of Cowboys from Hell with him. Like after the solo, he came out and that. actually sang the last part. So hearing Sebastian go and step aside with the Cowboys from Hell, and then he freaking stage dived out in the crowd. It was amazing. And of course, they did the Cold Gen Jam at the end of the Skid Row set, right. and that was that was really big. Uh, so that that was probably the best time I saw him live. And that's just one once again another reason why Vulgar Display is just such a great memory for me, and why it's. You know, I would easily, and I think I have gone on record saying it's top 10 metal albums of all time. So, oh, yeah, without question, it's one of my top favorite metal albums and when of you, all time. And when you think about the other albums that could go on that list, you know, potentially yeah. like a Rust in Peace or a Master of yeah. Puppets or, you know, you know, Defenders of the Faith, what have you, uh, that is high praise. And, it's just so neat because when I think about like living in a time, the entire time that Master of Puppets has been around, it's different from Paranoid because, you know, we weren't alive then. Yeah. And just to kind of be around for the whole life of the record and seeing what it's become. Yeah. We're talking about it's 30 years old 30 now. Years old. First of all, massive old moment. Yeah. That was a junior. That was a junior high record for me. And yeah. it's it, once again, like a junior high and high school record that'll speak to you because you feel that alienation with whatever level you're feeling it on. Obviously I'm not struggling the same way as Phil is when he's writing this stuff, right. but there's moments where I need to hear something like that, either to hear that someone has it worse than me or just like, Hey, you know, we're all fucked up in our own little way. And that's really what the, all of these genres that we just talked about metal, punk, hip hop, like, they're all there to say that, especially those types of music. And man, like all that bullshit that happens to you in junior high, especially for some reason, I feel yeah. like junior high is kind of the worst because uh, elementary is kind of fun for the most part. Sometimes in high school, you kind of figure it out a little bit, but junior high is just bullshit. <laughs> and I'm so glad that Pantera was around for me at that point. So, yeah, yeah. I was I was a freshman in high school at that point. So, um, that's my, practically my, junior high. Yeah. yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually a, technically supposed to be a sophomore. I was, I was left back a year. So now everybody knows that <laughs> that's yeah. okay. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't give a fuck. 
Most um, of these bands didn't even finish high school. They're all junkies. Yeah. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no big deal. I mean, I have a, I have a decent yeah, yeah. career now. I'm doing okay. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it, it, big just, it only goes to prove that sometimes when you get left back, it, it, it doesn't really matter in the end yeah. when you get older. Yeah, anyway. Okay. But I, yeah, I, you know, I had my share of dealing with bullies. I mean, you know, as I, I think a lot of people that, are into the music that we're, we're into when, when it comes to like heavy metal, you know, you, you deal with your share of bullying. You know, I was, I was the type of guy that was, you know, wearing these type of shirts underneath my school uniform. So, you know, I, I, and I was wearing glasses, I had braces and, you know, so forget about it. Like I, I just yeah. caught, caught so much unnecessary abuse. Oh, in, in, I did in, just in, for in, wearing, I did just for wearing a shirt like that. Yeah. Over like just regular because that wasn't the, the cool thing at the time. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I got, I got yeah. bullied just for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I caught I caught so much shit, you know, for still liking yeah. Kiss. I mean, so I, I, I could definitely remember, you know, at times, uh, you know, you, you listen, you're listening, you're listening to Pantera. You know, you just think of that that one bully that's in your mind. You just would love oh. to just kind of yeah. you know do this. And I'm, I'm yeah. showing the of uh, the, the front of the album cover. This guy getting punched in the face. Yeah. Yeah, I just oh, yeah. like 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 that moment in the end of the the movie, you know, where you, the bully is like has got you cornered and you can't get from point A to point B without getting past him. I, I it, for some reason I just thought of that scene in Like Father Like Son when Wildside comes on. Like I just wanted a uh, fucking hostile to be playing when I finally got that shot in on that motherfucker, yeah, you yeah. know, that yeah. that literally caused me to drop PE and take band just so I wouldn't have to take PE. Yeah, like I mean, that kind there's... of shit. Even though there's not like songs like indirectly talking about like bullying, you know, you listen yeah. to some of it and it just kind of charged you up where, you know, if you were dealing with something that day, you know, it kind of just got you through it. And I hate to use oh, that yeah. cliche, but it, yeah. I, I think I think it's very, very true. I think, you know, in terms of the music at the time, Pantera and, and, and a lot of the bands and Nirvana and a lot of the stuff I was listening to at that time during, you know, a, a time just starting high school was not particularly overly happy about it and like i said i had you know some setbacks a couple of years prior with school so it was just things like that and a band like pantera the, the style of the music i definitely think it was it, it had a positive effect so yeah i'm not yeah, trying to be like uh, you know sitting here like feel bad for me and the, the things that I, yeah. I went through no it's it's yeah. not even about that it's everybody's no, i'm not special a lot of people have gone through the same things oh but yeah. this record was definitely pivotal as far as you know, just kind of getting you through some some of those challenging times just by listening to the the, the force and the some of the you know, the brutality of some of the, the music yeah i know some people got I, brutality calm down <laughs> dude, i mean i i know it's not death metal yeah, maybe just kind of subconsciously, just because of like a song like Walk or something that had a groove to it. Yeah. Like when I would go on my walks and stuff like that, I would play this record because like it had a groove to it and you could just keep that pace, you know? And mm -hmm. like it was perfect for things like that. Whether, you, whether you're playing hoop or uh, just going out for a walk, like this album really can be the soundtrack to any of those things. It doesn't have to be something that's just because of something negative. Like it was all around me, like at all times, you yeah. know? So, you know, my mother can, can hear this now because, you know, she knows that we, we destroyed our old couch back in the day. But I mean, like literally like on Friday nights at my old house in Bensonhurst, 
we used to have, and I'm, I'm just going to say it like literally, that's what they were called. We used to have mosh parties. That's what they were. Yeah. And nice. you know, my mother would go out. This was like when, uh, after she had gotten divorced. So my mother would go out and all the guys would come over, Verderami brothers and some other, some of our other friends. And I'm going to tell you that I, I definitely remember mouth for war was definitely like a first song to, to, to get things started a, a few times. <laughs> yeah. I said same, same thing, man. I used to like invite over the dudes that I thought were so cool, you know, and they probably didn't even like me and mama go out after her divorce and same thing. We'd watch the ball and something like yeah. that came on, especially when the triple thrash threat came on. It was just like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The guys would and stay it, over on Saturday nights. Sometimes we'd watch headbangers ball. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, totally. Even though we're a few years difference, like, yeah, I totally remember doing that, you know, yeah. multiple weekends in a row. So, but you yeah. know, even before I started to, to really get into hardcore music, you know, I think Pantera was very pivotal in kind of, you know, grooming me towards that in a way, mm -hmm. sort of getting me kind of, um, getting my mindset prepared to listen to, to, the, to the hardcore bands that I eventually got into. I, I think yeah. Pan Pantera definitely played a bit of a pivotal role, even though no one would ever accuse them of being a hardcore band. Right, but, but thrash, thrash is born out of a combination of metal and hardcore punk. So, But I just, just even remember... The in the world. I just even remember the first Sick of It All song or the first Sick of It All album I ever heard was Just Look Around, was their second album. And I remember even saying, like, some of it reminds me a little bit of a Pantera. And then Sick of It All became my, my favorite hardcore band of all time. So yeah. I, I kind of use that as, like, a little bit of a, a parallel, too. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, we've said it. The, the record was a complete game changer as far as what was going on at the time and what would, what would follow. Because every record that Pantera would do after... I don't think there was a big sameness to Far Beyond Driven versus Vulgar Display of Power. And then I don't think there was really a no, there sameness were, there... with Southern Trend Kill and then Far Beyond Driven. I think certain things they, they would kind of retain. Sure. Yeah. But, but it wasn't like carbon copies. Like they were but then you had you had some bands that were coming out after Vulgar Display of Power and after Pantera eventually went to number one with Far Beyond Driven. Yeah. You had a lot of bands that were kind of starting to become like Pantera clones. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I've always said that Far Beyond went number one, which was a surprise to everybody, first of all. Huge but I think surprise. the the other reason why, the two main reasons why Far Beyond went to number one was because Vulgar was so good. And even if you didn't buy it, you heard it. And all they had to do on Far Beyond Driven was not suck and deliver the goods and not go any lighter. They went way heavier to certain yeah. degrees. And so all they had to do was not choke. Uh, it, that album went number one straight off of the, the bridge that Vulgar built. Like the fact that they went from peaking at 44 to number one. And yeah. I don't think Far Beyond is as good. I think it has more filler, but it's still awesome. Yeah, I really like yeah, that record. Far, Far Beyond is great, but it's it's a little longer and there's I, I'd cut a few songs off of it. But yeah, once again, there's- I agree with that. But I, but it's also so good, I never get sick of the overplayed songs. Like, I can still just go, whoa, this album is so good. You know, it's just like the same way that, you know, the Black album going number one because all those other albums were so good before it. Like, 
you know, you just is uh, the fact that they just didn't choke. Like they they made the they 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 made their career after that. They all they had to do they didn't even have to change after that, but they did keep changing it a little bit here and there without getting too boring. So yeah. So I wanted to ask you something, and I don't know. I know you used to buy a lot of the metal magazines, like I did. Did you also mm-hmm. did you also buy Guitar World and and some of the musicians oh. magazines for the mainly oh, yeah. for the interviews? Yeah, and dude, and for the for the tabs too. Yeah, like that's the okay. thing. Is like I can definitely play that old man card, you know. Before the internet, you know, like this is the way I learned songs. I was a pretty good ear learner, but if it was something that was a little more intricate, I always thanked Guitar World and Guitar. What was the other one? Guitar Player? Yeah, but anyway, Guitar yeah. World was the one. Like Guitar World is the metal edge, as uh, you know, like. Those are the the upper echelon ones, the ones that you would always buy. Right. And if they they were out of stock, then you'd buy something else. If I didn't right. get Metal Edge, I'd buy Circus or Faces or whatever. That's just the truth. Right. Or you know, Rip <laughs> Rip is upper echelon. Rip Metal yeah. Edge Guitar World. That's where yeah. those are the trifecta. Top of the heap. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, but yeah, I'll- like there had to be Dime had to be in every Guitar World. Like yeah. after Vulgar came out you could probably go to every issue to this day. Like, you know, it was like getting like, yeah, that's, is it, is it uh, I feel terrible asking this, but is guitar world even uh, being published anymore? But even if it is, or isn't I think to the very last, to the very current issue or last issue it ever had, you could guarantee that there's at least a little picture or a little mention of dimes somewhere in that magazine. That's uh, rightfully so. Well, speaking of Guitar World, I wanted to point something out to you. And I do think it's possible that I may still have this issue somewhere. So I asked you if you had purchased issues of Guitar World. And this is a particular issue that I remember. And as you see, Pantera's Diamond Daryl. Oh, yes, of course. No dime bag yet. This is March 1993. So issue probably came out in February of 93. Mm -hmm. Now there is something pretty interesting in this magazine that I've never forgotten. And it happens to involve the man. That's actually the person that's on the front cover of the magazine, Paige Hamilton from helmet. Okay. So the article, I think it's an interview with Dimebag Daryl. He actually mentions sort of jokingly, but also sort of apologetic that he didn't realize that with the song Rise, kind of lifted and borrowed and stole the main riff from Helmet's Unsung. Now think about... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the first time I heard it. think of Rise. So just I wanted to just point that out, that I've never forgotten that. And every time I hear Rise... I hear unsung <laughs> and oh I, I i totally buy that because i've always thought that myself and i don't have a memory of this interview but every time i hear it i think of unsung for yeah sure so that also just brings up another one of these things where i was saying before about they, they were getting accused of ripping off bands like exhorter i'm sure before this magazine even came out somebody was like oh what the fuck <laughs> sounds like helmet <laughs> You know, and unsung, right. and unsung was around, even before it was on Meantime, and even before you know they were on Interscope. Okay. So it's not okay. like the song was 
was was brand new just as rise had come out on vulgar so i just mm. just you know thought i would i would point that out because it's just mm. something i've never forgotten from this magazine by the way this, once again another skid row mention i love that their co-bill shared on the uh transcription uh panel right there with Jimi hendrix with their version of yeah. little wing i've never seen a shared yeah like such and such and such and such because you know it is note for note but that's so funny that they have it on there like they do edit or something. Yeah. I mean, for the people that aren't watching us on YouTube, yeah, it's five, five songs transcribed. Pantera, This Love, Temple of the Dog, Say Hello to Heaven, Soul Asylum, Somebody to Shove, mm. and two versions, Jimi Hendrix and Skid Row, Little Wing. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, basically the, the magazine focuses on the sound and fury of the new generation. And it's Razor Ramon, Diesel. No, just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong new generation. Hey, yo, uh, future shock. Helmet yeah. ministry and sepultura. Future shock sounds like a pay-per-view. Um, but I I'll agree that. that. You got Paige, Dime, and Richie Kotzen. Yeah, Not staring the cover, but it's like different. It's three different pictures. Yeah. How great would that be if they actually did share the look cover? Look at the... Which, and look at New Faces 93. Spin yeah. Doctors. Oh. <laughs> Saigon Kick. Dream Theater. Smashing Pumpkins, and more! Well, you know, three out of four ain't bad. <laughs> so, uh, And I also, yeah. I did see the Helmet Ministry and Sepultura tour at, at the theater in Madison Ooh. Square Garden in December 92. That was a fucking awesome show. Alright, we're going to review the whole issue now. So, okay. <laughs> I, th- I really thought you were going to put up the uh, Ace Fraley, Snake Sabo, Dimebag oh, Daryl. Oh, I, I, do, I do own that one. I do own I that, do I too. I, own I, that I've one. I do too. I got two of them, yeah. And that's that's of course the famous cover. That that was the same day that uh, Dime got his Ace Fraley tattoo That's right. autographed. That's right. And he even said at the end that he was going to fly back home and get it inked on him, and he, he did. Sure did he? So sure he did. He kept his word. So right, once again, that's another thing. The Pantera thing, by the way, those Kiss guys, the Pantera loving Kiss didn't hurt things none either. You know? No, definitely. Because, not. I mean, yeah, even just you see that video for Walk. Look at the yep. bottom of that. Uh, right at the bottom of the guitar. At the bottom of the Floyd Rose right there. Yeah. What do you see? You see Kiss. Yep. So. Okay. So now that we've talked about that little sidebar with the issue of Guitar World, I think it's time to actually get into the songs on the record and specifically some songs that we're going to play on this episode celebrating the 30th anniversary of Pantera's vulgar display of power. So with that said... I should point out the vinyl pressings that I also have. Joey pointed out the Rhino Records 180 gram 2LP black vinyl reissue set. I also own that one. That's the first one that I purchased. And then last year, I did purchase the limited edition white and true metal gray marbled vinyl. Ah, yes. That came out. Yeah, because they they did the whole catalog and the color variants. Yeah. And that one, if you look on Discogs, it shows that Rhino Records and Atco Records are the label who released it. So not 100% sure of that because I, I you know I would think there would have been you know a hype sticker that looked more like something Rhino would have done but maybe it is. I mean there would have to I'm, I'm assuming there's a limited pressing of an original somewhere, right? Like because, you know, yeah, I think vinyl was, was still getting pressed. So maybe that's why maybe they were using the plate since it's a one album. It, these are one well, album sets, right? Like 1992. The, you think you think this was issued on know. on vinyl in the U.S.? I don't know. Said, I, I mean, maybe maybe not in the U.S., but I'm saying maybe there is an original that exists out there. See, we're 
um, I'm showing my ignorance to like a original yeah. vinyl pressing at this point, but yeah, we didn't, just we saying, didn't do like, our research it, and look. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're, we have no, no fucking credit. We have no business doing this show. No business. Yeah. We're a bunch shows, of fountains of fuck. misinformation. Shows over. Oh, fountains of, oh, we're going to go there. Let me get my neck brace out. Uh, so, but man, like, so I'm thinking maybe that's the shared on the ACO or maybe it's some sort of legal thing, but you know, if there's a plate for an original pressing, it probably would have been on one album and not two like this Rhino one. So that maybe that's the reason why I'm just speculating. But if I had to guess, that's probably why. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we were discussing earlier about some tracks to play and I figured I would play two tracks off of each pressing that I own here. So here is that first one that I mentioned before. This is the Rhino Press from 2010. Also, they're using an ACO label. Right. So just like it has, I mean, that, that, that means that has to exist somewhere, right? I'm thinking. Yeah, so. my, my guess is if there wasn't a US pressing in 1992, then they're using a label that was used on, on a German pressing or an import pressing. Sure. So that makes me think that it does exist. So I, I'm going to say that it does exist just, just because I'm just going to say it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think, I think there probably was a U.S. final pressing. So if we're wrong, then I'll use the Paul Stanley line. Shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's the second one that I mentioned that I purchased last year in 2021 the limited edition white and true metal gray marbled vinyl. Now, I will say that I did listen to both of these yesterday, being it was ah. the 30th, being it was the 30th anniversary. So a I wanted to get a little bit. I like that. Good job. Yay and beat it. Thank you. Yeah, I actually, I've wanted to do this for a while. So I figured I'll wait for the, for the 30th anniversary and I'll give this an AB and for years, I've, I've had the Rhino pressing. I've had different styluses over the years. Now that I have the Autophone Blue, the Rhino 180 gram double LP black pressing definitely sounds a lot better than it used to when I was using more lower grade styluses. And it's on two LPs, so you, you know, you're know yeah. stretching it out a little more, so you, you definitely get a volume boost. Yeah. Whereas with this one here, the new one that came out in 2021, the gray marbled vinyl, it is a little lower, but I have to say, if you crank it up to a level where it's, it's a new level, a new level of yeah. confidence and power. Yes. This is just my opinion. I think this is the pressing to get right now. If hmm. you can well, get I it. I mean, that's, it's an easier one to get for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's an easier one. But the Rhino pressing, you're going to find at times, even with a, a really good stylus, you're going to find at times certain certain parts like where there's a lyric that might have like a really hard S at the end. You get that, like that little inner groove distortion where it's like, you know, it's hard to describe yeah. over a microphone, but no, I mean, also like, here's something that's not said enough. I think on most any vinyl shows, uh, the convenience of not having to flip it over uh, oh, sure. multiple yeah. times yeah. is the sound quality drop that bad to where it's like, okay, I can deal with this. Well, and you're, that's a good you're question. saying that that's the case with this one, right? That's is that a good question. Saying? Because I purposely also kept my volume at the same level as the 180 gram, the 2LP, when I played this one here, the single LP. Okay. 
right. yeah, it's it's a it's a noticeable drop in volume. But oh. like I said, having said that, you dial up you know, a little bit more, maybe you know five five decibels or whatever, and you have yourself a, a really great sounding press. And I think okay. this this is the press that you want to get right now, as far as affordability and convenience. If you look at reviews for the Rhino pressings of the Pantera records, some of them aren't very good at all. And hmm. I had Cowboys from Hell for one day. It was one of the worst reissues, probably the worst Rhino records reissue I ever purchased. Yeah. It, 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 it was skipping. It had all sorts of audio issues. It just it sounded real shrieky, and it just was not good. I, I took it back after one day. But yeah, it sounded like they ripped it from the first CD pressing or something. Or yeah, first it was, it was just really, pressing. really bad. It was really bad. I mean, the, the needle would, would, would jump out of groove. And then I, I mm. looked at Discogs reviews and, and other reviews like on Amazon and all these other people were saying the same thing. So I'm like, okay, it's not just me. Yeah. So the only Rhino pressings I own are the Pantera records, are Volga Display of Power and the Great Southern Trend Kill and Reinventing the Steel. The reason I got the Great Southern Trend Kill Rhino double pressing is because the, the single version that was released here by the... the in the same year in 2021 it actually omits tracks so you know you don't even get yeah. the entire record so yeah. I, in that case i had to get the rhino pressing but thankfully the great southern yeah. trend kill rhino pressing is actually really good and the yeah. reinventing the steel rhino pressing is actually re very good too i've never heard the far beyond driven rhino records pressing but i have an original of that one I haven't either. I'm going to confess. And the reason why, because I didn't want to bring it out and brag about it or anything, but I have an original pressing oh, of Far Beyond Shane. Driven, fully signed, fully signed original pressing. And oh. no, it's not for sale. Oh. So. It's got to be that way, huh? Yeah. yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's my absolutely justifiable reason for not owning the Rhino version, which I probably should get or I should have gotten by now. I do have a reinventing the steel rhino. So those are the only ones I have from the rhino one, but, uh, and that's a very yeah. good press too. Yeah. Rhino yeah, completely. I don't know what the hell they did with Cowboys from hell, but wow. I, some, terrible. somebody was on vacation that week for sure. I mean, that's the only thing I could think of because they're, you know, 99 out of a hundred times, you're going to get a great pressing out of them. That's, I don't know what happened with that one. Okay. It's not like they couldn't. They, they can't even blame it on a pandemic because this was like years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we've talked about the pressings that I own, and we're gonna take some tracks. And as I, I said to Joey, I figured let's do two tracks from each pressing. Won't make the show too long. So I'm sure we've done a good bit of talking here. What tracks do you think we should feature? So I split the album into five and five in the sense that like, I feel like there's the five obvious songs and the five deep cuts and the five obvious songs were either singles and or always kind of in the set list. And for that, the obvious ones, I have Mouth of War, New Level, Walk, Fucking Hostile, This Love. And I guess Hollow should be in there, but it's really just the first five songs on there are the really obvious ones. And so I think some people still don't know hollow. So I'm putting the, the second half as the other, you know, choices. If, so I'm picking one of each. I went a long way to say that, but fucking hostile still does it for me. And that's my obvious choice. So it, that's 
to me is like probably the ultimate representation of the album in a sense it's the heaviest song on there which is saying something and my other one i'm gonna go with by demons be driven that one's always a favorite it's it's heavy as balls it's just great i kind of wish i would have always heard that live every time i saw him it's just one of those kind of songs just does it for me and uh, i was talking about all the other things that came before this maybe and or how this influenced we kind of failed to talk about how this influenced a guy like rob halford for instance like an elder an elder statesman of the genre heard pantera and was like these guys are where it's at so much so that he started a band that sounded like pantera oh for sure yeah like i love fighting I love fight. That first fight album is the best Pantera album they never put out. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to get on an old diatribe, but the by demons be driven sounds like, I mean, I guess half this record sounds like something that's on more of words, but yeah, by demons be driven fucking hostile. So that leaves eight more songs for you to choose from Pete. <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, I got I to gotta tell you, oh. it's, it's not very easy for me to pick no. just four songs looking at the, the CD cover here, and by the way, we should point out, it was produced, engineered, and mixed by Terry Date and Vinnie Paul. So I know I said earlier yeah. it was produced by Terry Date, but also Vinnie Paul had something to do with it. So I just wanted to just point that out sure. as I'm seeing it here on the CD. And that's probably learning from his old man, by the way, because uh, his oh, old yeah. man well, was yeah, working well, on Bugs Henderson records stu- back in the day. They lived in studios their whole life. The so. studio they recorded in was their father's yep. studio, right? Yep. Yeah. So, and yes, yeah, it's co-produced by Pantera. So, mm-hmm. you picked out "Fucking Hostile" and "By Demons Be Driven." I got to go with one of my total obvious choices, and it was the song that I was talking about earlier, talking about the mosh parties. So it brings back some funny memories. Got to play "Mouthful War." Yeah. So that's first choice. Second choice. Wow. Put me in a, a difficult spot here because you got new level, you got rise, and hollow. I mean, those those songs jump out at me immediately. How do I leave out one of those tracks? So if I think about it, right now we have mouthful war, fucking hostile, by demons be driven. All right, I choose hollow. I'm That's a good say. choice. Yeah. Yeah. Make the, now you got to make it the closer too. Obviously. Yeah. All right. So let's get to our music break and let's play the four tracks. And what we'll do here is we'll alternate between my two pressings and we'll play Mouthful War and we'll play that from the Rhino Records 180 gram 2LP black vinyl pressing. Then we'll play Fucking Hostile from the 2021 Grey Marble edition. Then we'll go back to the Rhino 180-gram double black vinyl edition and play By Demons Be Driven. And then we will close with Hollow from the single LP gray marbled vinyl edition from 2021. So let's play those songs right now. Was that hostile enough?
Call. 
All right, we're back. That was Mouthful War, Fucking Hostile, By Demons Be Driven, and Hollow from Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power. So Vulgar Display of Marble on uh, on that instance, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. So I wanted to just get into some some other stuff about Pantera before we close, and just just wanted to get get your thoughts. Obviously, things didn't end for the band in a great way. And, you know, we had them breaking up, forming Damage Plan. Now, really quick, like, what did you think of Damage Plan? Uh, it's not anything that I ran out and bought when it came yeah. out. Uh, I, although I've heard a couple of tracks now, actually, just the other day. I heard, heard some on Jim Fortine's show, and they sounded pretty good. So yeah. it makes me almost think, like, oh, maybe I kind of misjudged it. But at the time, honestly, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah, I, I'll be dead and, honest with you. Like, I thought it was crap. I just was not into it and you know i think s yeah. some of us kind of made fun of them a little bit for for that band you know i kind of feel bad about it you know considering what what happened to, to yeah dying. but like and just the everything that was going on at the time left a massively bad taste in my mouth now musically i didn't take sides with anybody i kind of almost kind of refused to support either side uh, from a musical standpoint from a humanistic standpoint, I definitely sided with the Abbots on this one. But during this time, I was like working at CD Warehouse, managing it, doing, you know, working hard and then hardly working at the same time. So when I was hardly working, this was like the day and age for me, like the height of like, you know, Blabbermouth and Metal Sludge and stuff like that. And the war of words between, uh, speaking of that term, uh, between those two camps were just at the absolute peak to the point where I could tell you, I know for a fact that the war of words uh, honestly was an impetus in the tragedy. Like yeah. it definitely, I, I think that all parties kind of egged each other on and not realizing that other people were like kind of paying attention. They were yeah. talking to each other in the press and it was bad. It was really bitter. It was really bad. Somebody took it way too seriously and did a lot of bad shit over it that's just horrible still tragic and still tears shed to this day yeah. so like th that whole shit i remember before the tragedy and all that horrible press left an utterly bad terrible taste in my mouth like i said to the point where i wasn't buying anybody's records yeah. plus i wasn't listening to my old pantera records the way i used to like it was so in front of everybody's face and i don't know if it's a local thing but it just it was just bad and it, it, I fell out for a long time because of that. And honestly, only after some of those tragedies is kind of where it kind of came back to me. And, you know, now I'm just, you know, back to being the regular fan that I was. And I'm at a point in my age where, you know, at least I feel like, yeah, I will say like when you get older and blah, 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 and all that stuff and you grow up and you mature, you realize that this shit isn't, life and death the music itself yeah. music is life to me but i don't let it bother me yeah for the most part <laughs> so i'm just back to being a regular fan i'm able to enjoy the videos again all the home videos and all the records and stuff like that uh just i hate reliving all of that all that yeah. bad stuff that went on and you know, none of it had to happen. It was completely yeah. unnecessary. And if they'd all grown up for one fucking minute, then maybe this shit would have never happened. That's my that's my opinion. Yeah. 
but just being around all this and and you know knowing how it was even after the tragedy and there's still a divide there's always going to be a divide that's the thing is it like the brothers were so out with you know especially phil and to an extent rex because rex kind of went on team phil yeah so it's just always going to be that divide so you always hear those rumors oh uh phil and rex are going to get back and zach's going to play guitar and all that stuff i would absolutely hate that yeah and i think most people would and some people would dig it you know i'm not saying you can't dig it if it doesn't happen but it's it would it'd be a bad look first of all just because it's like how dare you also it's massively telling that when dime was murdered you know i know phil wasn't invited to that uh, wake no you know no. no yeah we all know this so i'm not and you know and rex book was kind of embarrassing in my opinion <laughs> he's never going to be a guest on my show i guess now but uh yeah so but yeah i mean it's just that that's just how i feel and i just i'm going in circles here but yeah, it, it, it's always going to be a black eye and, and it's never going to get resolved. That's the thing. It's the dragon eating its own tail. This shit will never get resolved because it can't get resolved because there's nobody around to yeah. forgive the other. Yeah, it's 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 terribly sad. You know, Vinny's Vinny's not here anymore. You know, Vinny passed away a few years ago. Yeah. You know, Dime was, uh, you know, murdered f- for the s- stupidest fucking reasons possible by a, a fucking maniac. Yeah, you know it's just it's it's extre- it's extremely sad that that's yeah. that's where the band that's that's the end legacy of of the band besides the music is this this hor- horrific ending to Dimebag's life and the way the band broke up was 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 really sad. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll just I'll say from from my perspective, you know I I purchased the, the records like Super Joint Ritual. I have a couple of those CDs. Uh, I think I got the Phil Anselmo. It was the Phil Anselmo and the Illegals. I think it was. The yeah, name. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but and uh, it's, but I, I, I had like I had Nola. That was about it. I had Down by. Yeah, I have the Down records, Nola. but yeah. it's not because I was Team Phil and fuck Dime and Vinny yeah. and 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 Rex. Even though yeah, like you said, Rex was you know kind of Team Phil. It was never yeah. about that with me. It was it was more the music and. You know the stuff I heard from Superjoint Ritual at the time, I thought it was pretty good. I, I can't say I listened to those records today. I don't even know the last time I put the CDs on. I don't know the last time I even listened to the Phil Anselmo and the Illegals. But gotcha. the Damage Plan, the band in its execution, then that record that came out. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I I, I wish I had like like a a hundred percent solid reason why I just couldn't get behind that band and that record. But really, I think what it comes down to is I wasn't hearing the songs. I wasn't hearing, you know, anything that was of any redeeming value that I would want to purchase. And maybe it's because, maybe it's because it wasn't Phil's voice. I don't know, but maybe it's just, I mean, it wasn't, that that's, it wasn't quality stuff. Yeah. It's, it's all those elements. It's maybe even with that kind of dynamic. I mean, obviously you don't get Phil's lyrics and his voice, so that's gone. So now you have to deal with that. Uh, so, and then, you know, obviously it seems like they kind of wanted to play slightly different music. It was a little more modern, uh, probably because of the vocalist kind of makes it more modern. Yeah. Yeah. But, and so, so you got a lot of stuff going against it from the get go. So, yeah. you know, for people that are able to enjoy it for what it is, 
Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm never going to try to take yeah. that away from you. Yeah. I even like some of the, I even, you know, after everything cooled down, I heard some of some of those down EPs that came out like a decade ago. Pretty good. Not bad. You know, I, it's just one of those things I've just never been able to get back in there, you know. And maybe if, you know, and Vinny had years to make up with those guys if he felt like he should or could. Didn't happen, you yeah. know. And you always heard those rumors, but I don't think it was coming from either of them. Yeah. You know, and so... I guess it's just, that's just how it is. So I just, I don't think it's ever going to get back to that point. So just putting, uh, you know, all the Pantera records in a bubble and I can enjoy them forever. That's, that's where I am. That's what I'm going to do with them. Yeah. So I, I don't think I'm alone in that, but if you're not great, knock yourself out. You got plenty of material out there. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it, I kind of feel bad in a way that like I had that stance at the time. Like I, I didn't back what, what Vinny and Dime were doing. But I just couldn't get into it, you know. It's. No, I mean, that's it wasn't, just, it wasn't that, like anything personal about those guys, but I just could not get into anything what they were doing at that time. And like, I never bought a Hell Yeah record. I don't even know a single fucking Hell Yeah song. Of Vinnie Paul's other band. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Yeah, <laughs> so. but but yet, like, I bought I bought some of the Phil stuff, you know. But maybe it's just because like his his voice was so identified. It's a voice. Yeah, yeah, and people do that, man. And you there know, was like, like little elements, obviously. You know, you're gonna get little sure. elements of Pantera in anything that Phil's gonna do. Yeah. So yeah, you know, and then, then the extra cool thing with that. Down, and the cool thing with Down having those other New Orleans guys on there, yeah. and like this DOC factor and stuff like that. You know, like there's there's some stuff to latch onto. Oh, that first Down guys. record is is like one of the best records of the '90s. It's fucking it's, amazing. It's really good. Great it's really record. good. And and also it gets to live in that bubble of like Pantera is still a thing. Then yeah. That. And that was that's like a, one a of the, side project at the time too, you know. Exactly. That that's one of the key Pretty elements. Damn good side of, project. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> I was gonna say hell yeah. So <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's where perception becomes the reality, you yeah. know. So, but uh, yeah, no, I just uh, the the music's so good now. Like it, it's so good. Like sometimes I forget, you know. Like i'll be listening to the records and i'll just be lost in them and i don't realize what the reality of things are still on the same yeah. way yeah i mean yeah. I, I think you know time has has definitely helped i think i mean we're, we're talking now it's 2022 i i guess kind of it's you know it's like the time heals all wounds but not like it really completely yeah. but i think you know you, you could listen to the music now and you know you could go back you can go back to you know when you were watching oh. these videos and it was just like whoa Val and all all that stuff Dude. and all the, the silliness. <laughs> can I, I do mean, my favorite thing from from any of those three things? I'm gonna do my favorite. You ready? Okay, let me try to get into. Motherfucker, ready? Kick some dick. <laughs> right there. I could. I could. I. I. I will do that when I'm by myself in the house, because it makes me laugh. Just to say that out loud. I don't know who that guy is. I've probably even bumped into him at shows before, but that, that dude, man, motherfucker, really kick some dick every time. Never fails. Volume three, three. But yeah, like all that stuff, the, the, the Skid Row thing where they, where they uh, fill in Sebastian, make the roadie jump into do a stage dive and everybody parts. Oh, it's the best. Those are, and you know, obviously like people talk, people watch those videos now. It's like, oh, you couldn't do that nowadays. You really can't. There's no way you could put out a video like that nowadays. Oh but no, no! I, I no, love, no. I love that they happened. You know, you could yeah, probably it do was the definitely, eating. It was definitely you know for what? the time. 
you know, the one thing that's not of the time that you could still do that they were ahead of their time was the eating challenges. Like people yeah. still like those things. Val with the, the cake. Oh, dude, the eating challenges are, yeah, Sat Guzzler's the cake, of course. And like, poor bastards, man, they'll just be sitting in an airport eating a bag of, you know, Chinese food. And the guy's, he's got like that little 10 thing and he's like, you know, hey, if you, if you finish that in two minutes, I'll give you $500. He just starts going, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, all right. <laughs> Ending oh, on a happy wow. note. I love it. I love it. Happy Scott note. Steiner looking motherfucker, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talking about Pantera, didn't have a very happy ending to the band, but you know we're trying to put some kind of a positive. But look at, like, but here, go watch those videos. Look at how much they lived. That's that's yeah. the thing that you can yeah, really it, take away from this. Yeah, they fucking lived a lot. Yeah, you know, I mean, so it's it's crazy because it's the total perception isn't exactly reality, right, Joey? Because we watched those videos for for years. And you had no idea, like all the the problems that were going on inside of the band. You didn't, yeah. I, you know, you didn't know like Phil was like a total like junkie and all all that stuff. Yeah, and when you watch, and I've referenced Roadkill a lot, the Skid Row thing, and these. But when you watch those now, you can actually gain a little bit of that, because in the Skid Row one, Sebastian barely hanging out with him. He has his own little side shenanigans that he does, hmm. and it barely are the other guys in any of his stuff and vice versa and honestly Hmm. there's a lot of stuff unless they're doing like a press thing or you know it's like right directly backstage before they go out it's edited very cleverly in that sense it looks like there's a lot of camaraderie there but when you go back and watch either of those videos it's very telling you will see that they're on there when they're off the clock you don't see phil and you don't see sebastian Hmm. that's uh interesting it is very interesting. So uh, as fun as they are, and I definitely recommend a watch. By the way, just going to say, it's a crime that the Skid Row things aren't on DVD. I love three vulgar videos from hell. That DVD is yeah. perfect because it's all three VHSs and one DVD. They never did that for Skid Row. Why the fuck did they not do it? Crazy to me. I just don't, I don't understand. But yeah. yes, if you want a good, happy moment, go watch all those home videos. They're so great, and uh, you know, buy some Pantera on vinyl. Yeah, I wonder if this is on Blu-ray at this point by now. No, you know? it's it's not, no? and there, there's there's no need because it's all raw handheld stuff. There's no point in digitizing that because it's well. You know, I'm I'm just saying like cable that access that basically. It's easily available. If it's not going to be DVD, it would be Blu-ray, right? If you know, yeah, and you know they today, they they could still they still press DVDs. So I mean, they oh, yeah. can keep it in print that. if they wanted yeah. to. But yeah, it's like I said, I just. You know, I don't know if the only reason to do a Blu-ray is to like maybe like have all the videos also on it. Like, you know, it, it would make sense to definitely digitize and high def the actual promotional videos. Yeah, I mean, a Blu-ray, they could add concerts. Yeah, just sure. Yeah, box like, con- like, a, like, a, like a deluxe vulgar yeah. videos from hell Blu-ray set. So yeah, that'd be maybe, great. Maybe, maybe they'll that'd do something like that down the line. I'm kind yeah, of surprised other- it has not, hasn't been done yet. Yeah, the only other DVD that exists, you know, under the Pantera thing is the bonus DVD of the videos with the greatest hits if you bought it, the two-disc set. Right. So, which, uh, yeah, was something that a lot of labels would do to not kill the industry, even though they killed it years before that. <laughs> so, yeah. But I have well, it because I'm a fan. And I have, once again, punching my uh, local card there. There we go. Okay. Well, is there anything you'd want to close with? Before we wrap up the show, 
No, I think I said too much. So I, I have nothing left for our uh, eventual Pantera catalog uh, assessment. But uh, so I'll just have to do recycled jokes like my hero Diamond Dave does. So, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess we can we can close on that note on the discussion about Pantera's vulgar display of power, which, as we have noted, turned 30 years old yesterday on February 25th. We are recording the next day on February 26th. So the anniversary is still very fresh in our minds as Joey is once again showing the Rhino Records 2LP 180 gram pressing right there. And I mean, like, look, lastly, I could just say, as I mentioned earlier, it would definitely rank as one of my top favorite metal albums of all time. Probably would have to be like, if I had a top 20 albums of the 90s, Oh, we have to yeah. be probably have to be in there somewhere within the top, within that, top five, you know, top five of the nineties for me, in the yeah. upper tier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, like, and, and that's how weird I am. I have that like next to melancholy and the infinite sadness. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That's just, that's just how it is. How it is. <laughs> but we could say so many more great things about this record, but I think we we've said them all. So mm. why don't we wrap up and talk about, the wonderful things here at cnjradio.com. So, Joey, do you want to give us the rundown on the latest happenings at cnjradio.com? And don't be a fountain of misinformation. <laughs> well, yeah, as I kind of mentioned before, so the Talking Rock show is on ice right now. It's not like dead, but it's definitely on ice and we're not putting out new episodes because fellow brother and uh, fellow person from your neck of the woods mark striegel he is now on sirius xm he is he has multiple shifts on ozzy's boneyard and hair nation throughout the week so if you have the app get it subscribe to it and you can actually follow him and it'll tell you when he's on the air i love that that's a thing you can do that with anybody you like on sirius so that all being said there's new episodes of wrestling house show on the horizon we've done enough wrestling references on this episode <laughs> but uh we've got Never. new episodes planned we got a new season coming out as i like to say so more retro reviews and stuff like that. Uh, Randy's promising uh, a year in retrospective for him, finally, on Synaptic. He's a super busy guy, but when he does a show, it's always worth checking out. And uh, on Rock Strikes 10, I just got done with a 12-part best of 2021, which was painstaking. But it, it, was, it was necessary, but I'm not planning on doing it like that next year. But... For people that, you know, didn't listen to anything new last year or barely listen to anything new or just think that there's nothing good new out there, then I challenge you to listen to that 12-parter and tell me otherwise because there's such good music out there still and rock, adja rock adjacent, metal adjacent. There's some killer metal records from last year by like Mastodon and Gojira that you got to have that could be the next iconic records. And from what I'm hearing, they probably will be. Uh, stuff like that. I mean, just check out Rock Strikes 10. All, it's all things rock, all the way from, you know, freaking uh, some power pop bubblegum band in Sweden all the way to stuff like Gojira and Pantera and stuff like that. So that's what I do. So, yeah, cnjradio.com. And I'm Vinyl with Pete, the great Pete LaRussa, who uh, does Hi. the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. <laughs> oh, thank you. Did you mention the last theater? Oh, last theater, kind of same as Wrestling House Show. There'll be a new season coming out soon. It's, it's, uh, it's not, it's not dead. It's just 
you know, it's it's as dead as the zombies that they cover. So they'll be back. Well, if that's all we've got to say, then I guess we could wrap this episode up. And we thank you all for tuning in and watching us here on YouTube or if you're listening to us at cnjradio.com. We primarily want you to listen at cnjradio.com or if you're tuning in on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. We will be back with our next episode soon. Once again, not sure what the topic is going to be for the next episode. Thank you once again for tuning in for our retrospective here on Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power. And we'll see you all next time right here at cnjradio.com.